one really good tip for everyone is to start now. You don't need to be an expert to start checking out how things work with a tool such as ChatGPT, Bard, or any mm-hmm. other large language model. But going through that learning curve of what works for you specifically at work and also outside of work, mm-hmm. because it does have different levels of quality when it comes to the output. Welcome to Team Up with Beata. I'm Beata Padua, and I'm very excited that you are here. This is a podcast about the teams of the future and the right ingredients for that pivot. This podcast will make you believe in teamwork again. Woohoo! On the show today, we welcome Rocio Bachmeier. She is an AI advisor and a speaker. She's also a CEO at Atlan Insights, a company that is advising clients on how to leverage AI technologies effectively and efficiently to maximize their operations, gain competitive advantage, and generate new revenue streams. Tune in, because after we recorded the podcast, there's been so much drama going on around AI, open AI, and so many updates, then we thought we have a little catch up and see how things are going with open AI. So stay till the end because our extra recording is coming at the end. And also tomorrow is ChatGPT's first birthday. So that's why we are hanging out together and celebrating it together with you and Rocio. So tune in. Welcome, Rocio. <laughs> Thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> so nice to have you here. How are you today? I'm, I'm great. I'm very uh, excited to be here and very honored as well to Yay. be part of the podcast. Awesome. Yes, you're one of the special guests. I thought before even uh, I started podcast that you have to be on this, right? <laughs> we worked together a short time, but it was short and sweet and I had so much energy from you. Oh, likewise. I mean it. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And you now work a lot with AI. I mean, there is so many titles one can give you, but can you share with us a little bit of the journey? How did you end up working with AI and in, in what dimension and what, how, how did it all come together? What's your journey? <laughs> no, it's really funny you're asking because I get this question a lot. And in general, people believe that career growth or career paths are linear but they're usually not. And that's, I think, the norm today is nonlinear career mm-hmm. paths. So it was when I was working at a retailer as a pro, uh, project manager in business tech that I came across my first AI project. And back then it was, it was not the cool generative AI that everyone's thinking <laughs> about today. Yeah. It was uh, machine learning, which today sounds traditional. Obviously, it's not traditional at all, but it's definitely way more mature. As, a, as an AI technology. And uh, we had this pilot project. All right. And I realized there's so much potential. There, I'm all about impact, uh, not only business impact, but also impact in the world and in society. And through this project, I, I realized that, yes, it was still kind of an emerging technology back then, but it could really change the world. Mm. And I have an economics uh, background and it just brought me back to when I was in class and I was reading about the first industrial revolution. And I was always so um, passionate or so inspired by all the changes that they were going through, uh, how how machines really changed the world, electricity and, and such. 
And I kind of had a moment of realization. Mm. This is going to be the new industrial revolution. Okay. And it's going to be huge. Yeah. Something that we've never seen before, probably, in, in terms of scale. And you also saw the potential to be part of it. All right. And yeah. I think that's that's very human to feel very compelled or the purpose of being something that is bigger than you. So for me, it was really exciting to understand the potential that was there. And it was also, I had a thought about, I just need to talk about this. I, I just need to share this with everyone because it's going to change your life so much. So from that time on, I started dipping my toes further in, learning, taking courses, certifications and so on. So I could get more of the technical knowledge. I mean, I myself, I'm not an engineer, so mm-hmm. I'm very mm-hmm. far enough yeah. about that. I'm not the one who's going to start coding in Python and uh, select libraries and, and pick up the exact algorithms. That I leave to the experts that know about that. Mm-hmm. But with technology, you, you need to understand how it works. And in order for anyone from the business perspective to assess and and uh, connect how you can apply that technology you need to understand some foundation mm. so so that moment on i also uh, joined women in ai leadership team all right yeah. and what tell us a bit about what's uh, women in ai briefly so women in ai is a global uh, non-profit organization that has a purpose of building a gender equal ai society so working together making sure that there's no bias mm. Uh, that is uh, safe to use and making sure as well that AI adoption reaches women mm. who mm. historically have had higher barriers of access yeah. uh, to new technologies and, and technical been excluded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. subjects mm. popping up. So it's on one hand, you do have the technology per se that is very based on data and data is basically traces of the past. And that past has bias because we humans are biased. So you, you do perpetuate that bias if you do not really address it at the origin of, of, Early uh, stage, of the sure. data. Uh, yeah. mm, mm. Now within the data, before even before the data gets through the different algorithms and AI technology, mm-hmm. you need to purify it or cleanse it mm. in a way to make sure that it doesn't perpetuate, for example, gender bias and other type of bias and, and discrimination. So you do have that one big challenge that comes from the data and that can affect women in a very negative way if it doesn't get practically addressed. And then you also have these AI adoption access. So making sure that women feel that they do have the knowledge and the power to continue pursuing not only a career within AI, but rather leveraging AI on their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. So it should not be something just for the experts, right? And I think women overall, we've been educated, we've been raised in different cultures as always being too perfectionist and always demanding too much from yourself. So you have that little imposter syndrome that prevents you from doing things. Yeah. And men don't have that. Yeah. And I think that's actually great. That's something that we can take from them and be, oh, we should do this too. So instead of having that paralysis of, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't know enough. No, but you will learn by doing. So just just start. Get out there and start taking little steps to start using AI and learn about it. And then at a later time, if that's a career path that you want to take, then you can really jump into it. Yeah, that's big. Off the record, my first episode that I wrote to record was called Paralysis Analysis, Uh how I overcame that. (laughs) 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 That's funny. Awesome. So after joining Women in AI, you started... Is it a chapter in, in Stockholm? I didn't start a chapter myself. Okay. 
So, but it was really good coincidence in a way that it, this was 2020. It was January. It was literally right before the pandemic hit. Mm. Uh, so there was an event to launch the chapter from an amazing woman, Elena, who, yeah, became the ambassador of Women in AI Sweden since there are different local chapters. And I just felt that there's, of course, the power comes from working together mm. towards one goal and you need to collaborate with other people and build over the ecosystem. So I decided this is something that I want to contribute and help build. So I joined the team, the leadership team of Women in AI Sweden. Mm. And since there, we started taking a lot of different actions, whether it would be organizing events with partners or encouraging mingling and networking, highlighting job opportunities, a, a mentorship program. So mm. we've actually done a lot of things since then. It's really been an amazing and also very tangible journey. Congratulations Thanks. on that. No. Yeah, I see yes. that. I follow no. that. It's amazing. <laughs> I advertise it. You know, I, I send people to you all the time because I think it's something unique. And it does feel like when you started, that it was a bit ahead of the game, but maybe ahead of the, the news. Because everyone talks about AI since ChatGPT came out. Mm. And tomorrow, <laughs> ChatGPT turns one year, so we should sing happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> How has this last year been for you, with, with especially with ChatGPT? I know that you're such an advanced user. You give me tips all the time. <laughs> and okay, I'm not a paying user yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you there. <laughs> but yeah, um, of course, there's other tools we'll talk about mm. uh, in a moment. But yeah, how has that journey been with just ChatGPT over the last year for you? I mean, it's been really great because I think it's tackled the, the barrier of knowledge that the average person had before about AI. I believe for those who were not in the field, not just in the AI field, I would say if you were not in the tech field, people thought that AI was still kind of like sci-fi <laughs> uh, and didn't really connect or uh, translate the value for them individually, mm. not only at work, but also uh, within their personal lives. Mm. So I think when ChatGPT disrupted the vision of everyone realizing, wow, this is here now and there's something in it for me and it can help me out so much. Plus also a bit of the rookie move or like, wow, this is so advanced. I thought this wouldn't get here until within maybe 20 or 50 years. And yeah. A bit of a reality shock. Wow, things are moving extremely fast. Mm. Tasks that used to be perceived only for or done by humans became something that a machine could do. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a reality check for many people. But it helped a lot of AI businesses and, and AI experts to open doors when it comes to business, for example, because now you don't really need to explain a product that people don't understand. Sometimes when you launch a business or a product that is extremely disruptive, extremely new, people don't even understand what you do. Like it's you need to educate them and teach them and help them understand what is it that the product or service is doing from zero. And then once they understand, then you can jump into the next level, which is, okay, now I understand the product and the service. How is this going to benefit me? Whereas now after ChatGPT launched, you don't really need to do that first education for people to even start listening to you. But, oh, yeah, I, I know what AI is about. I know that it's got potential. So you don't have to break those first barriers. Of, mm. This is important. Uh, listen to this. 
And then you can actually connect to this is the benefits that you can get. Whereas before you really needed to put a lot of energy into helping non-experts understand what AI was all about. Yeah. Now everyone can use it. Kids at school and so on, right? Yeah. So I think it's fun. Uh, about a year ago, when there was some sense of fear, maybe not from so much from the tech people, I used to compare it to a calculator. And then I did some research about it. And people were af- afraid of calculators back then. It's really good that it's with us. And there is so many things that we can do to improve our lives and those around us. Mm. Mm. I love the, that example. I actually used it very much too. Because ah. I think there was a group of women working in Harvard that were working within the space field and they were called literally the computers of Harvard, mm. the Harvard's computers. Yeah. And they were all women literally calculating by hand yeah. all these extremely complex functions that would take forever, right? So you could move forward, but it was at a very slow pace. Mm. I assume that back then when the calculator came out, yeah. people that were mathematicians at first felt my role is going to disappear. Maybe the calculator is going to take yeah. over my job, yeah. right? But what it really did is allowing anyone who was dependent on, on calculus to get that part automated and and be able to work on the more strategic level. So focusing more up on the different models, maybe, and the bigger picture. Mm. And I think that's that's a fantastic example because today it feels a bit surreal that anyone would feel their job was threatened by a calculator. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like a joke, right? It feels like something out of a funny movie. Yeah, I hosted a debate about a year ago. I tried to look at the world the opposite way, more positive, right? So why AI will not take over our jobs? And it was um, over 100 or or more people in the room. And I felt like the views were so polarized. This is Mm -hmm. early this year. And yeah, it was people were genuinely scared. And this is tech people. And I think now we are in a different position where we can actually use, we can bring examples, right? How people are using it. And that's kind of what I want to ask you a bit more about. Or, yeah, I'm so happy that that you're here because you can share with us, our listeners, more about how they can use it in their day-to-day work while they're working technology, while they're working teams. What are some ways that right now you've seen AI of any sorts, not just ChatGPT, which is funny because we always say ChatGPT yeah. AI. <laughs> what have you seen so far being used that you think it's going in the right direction? What Some kind of tools or, yeah, I think it's tools, right? Yeah. We call them tools, uh-huh. the AI things. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if... <laughs> I if feel it's... like such a non-techie, even though <laughs> I am. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it's good because you're not using the technology on its own. You're actually using an interface that is going to allow you to use the technology behind it. Mm. So we're talking about tools when we say chat GPT. That's very user-friendly. You're not building your little algorithm and then yeah. inputting the data, etc. like yourself. You're, you have a, an extremely smooth out journey where anyone can jump in and have a good interaction in that sense. And I agree. I think we all talk about ChatGPT a lot since it was the disruptor, the first one that uh, really shook the market. But there are plenty of tools and plenty of providers that uh, help with large language models. And I mean, you do have generative AI tools that help in all the various tasks. I think it really depends on what you're working with and also what you do on your personal uh, time. You do have generative models that work based on text. You do have generative models that work 
based on imagery. Mm. You also do have the ones working with sound mm. and speech, right? So I think the the biggest disruptor for everyone was truly text because he's removing kind of the ultimate barrier for us to smoothly communicate with machines, mm. right? Before we went through a, a journey of working with machines in a mechanical way, then it became digital. So it was all about ones and zeros, but you needed to speak machine language, to call it somehow, in order to be able to truly interact with the machine. So now what we're taking is one step further in and, and realizing, oh, turns out we don't need to learn machine language. We can actually just use our human language, which is called natural language, to communicate with the machine. And then behind, of course, a lot of things are happening, but it's allowing the average person to remove that direct barrier that you had to mm. access that knowledge and so on and, and bring you out having a conversation you would be having with another human, mm. right? So, of course, it does have a lot of limitations. And I think that maybe we don't speak about that enough. And I want to be super clear that this is a technology that is not yet mature. It's, generative AI is very much in its infancy. So we, we need to use it to start understanding the flaws, how it's working well, how it's not working great, and so on. I think one really good tip for everyone is to start now. You don't need to be an expert to start checking out how things work with, with a tool such as ChatGPT, BARD, or any mm-hmm. other large language model. But going through that learning curve of what works for you specifically at work and also outside of work mm-hmm. because it does have different levels of, of quality when it comes to the output, right? And I think it's really important not to just think, oh, I can learn all these amazing tips from an expert, but rather what is specifically that you as a human need and how you as a human communicates and how you can improve that interaction with the machine. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like when we Think of product teams. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, of course, we assume that it's only engineers on those product teams, but there's a lot of people around them, right? From coaches to to managers, etc. And I feel like sometimes the, the engineers, the designers, they go ahead and they kind of they already use it. They have hobby projects, and then they get frustrated that the manager is limiting their usage, or maybe even the company, right? We have limitations. I mean, there are companies right now, especially governmental companies that don't even use uh, tools like Miro, you know, or Mural mm. because there is a, they host it in the wrong place. So think about AI in overall. What can those people on the teams already do to sort of make those around them <laughs> <laughs> in the organization be more, yeah, pro and like see the benefits of it what would be the number one tip you would tell them and it's not maybe they need to create a presentation in mid-journey right (laughs) look this is so cool what would what would you say i think maybe the most important part of any kind of new technology adoption and this is very change management i don't think this is only for ai but Mm. overall it's very important for anyone to understand what's in it for them how does this benefit me directly or how does this benefit my team directly. Seeing the tangible examples that is really helping out the end user. Something that I think works marvels is to reach out to different people and be curious about who they are and how they work. Because if you understand how they work, 
and what are the main challenges on their everyday work, mm. then you can also understand how to help them solve those challenges with a specific technology. So I think that very human part of us to use that sympathy that we have for others is really the key to open new doors mm. for any new topic overall. So think about, yeah, what the other is worried about and concerned about and then start from there, from listening instead of coming right in with the solution to maybe a problem that you don't even know it exists. <laughs> So yeah. you, re you really connect to that active listening and then you can connect it to what you believe AI could help them with. That's big. That's big. Mm. Change, working with change and change management. Mm. I can totally relate to that. And I think it's fascinating that you talk about that rather than say, show your manager some cool things and tricks <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and, or show the ready solution, right? Yeah, that's the right approach. I really, really like that. But when it comes to our teams, what are some really cool ways that we can actually you utilize is that the word yeah <laughs> utilize ai to make our teams more performant in day-to-day -day tasks i mean one area that i think is going to improve a lot with ai is within team interactions mm -hmm. there are plenty of tasks that are administrative in a way and can get automated and ai can definitely help us tackle that because who likes writing down minutes on a meeting Right. Yeah. So there are plenty of tasks that involve communication and don't really require empathy. So tasks that are very human, but rather tasks that are perfect. They're ideal for AI to automate. So I would say now there are plenty of tools that you can connect to your mm -hmm. video conferences mm -hmm. uh, that will allow you to automate transcribing minutes to start with, even providing with a summary. Summarizing, of course, the, the actions pending and, mm -hmm. and the next steps, even for those that joined the meeting late. So uh, there are many situations where oh, you've been uh, dragged in into a meeting that was extremely important. And I mean, in an ideal world, no one's late to any meetings. But unfortunately, in some cases, when that happens, when we are you, human. Yeah. yeah, we are human. And what you can have is a little onboarding on the meeting that has already started. So the meeting can actually already go on without you, without everyone having to waste their initial maybe 10 minutes of the meeting. And then you can get in there, get up to speed and jump right in with your ideas yeah. and contributions. Yeah. And what tool is that if we were to try it out today? There are many. Okay. Uh, Fireflies yeah. is one that you can check. Fireflies. Been helping mm -hmm. yeah, uh, a lot of companies. I try to stay agnostic in that sense because yeah. I think it's it's important to discover what works best for not only each individual, but the specific task, role, or even organization. Yeah, I think true. I mean, everyone's using different communication tools. Yeah. So I guess Zoom has its own. I've used that. It's Precisely. really cool too. The, the, the Fireflies is connected to Google, right? Mm, Google yeah. Meet. Mm. So every single one. What about those? I mean, hopefully there is not many companies out there. But that, what about those companies that don't have access to these um, Google Meet Zoom tools? Is there some something they, they can use or is... No, I'm thinking government. <laughs> I met someone who works at the government this week and I was just feeling so sad. There's only so much you can do. If there was money to be made in the government, people would <laughs> help out. Yeah. But in that sense, I think economic downturns have many negative consequences, especially with stagflation. But there are some bright sides of any crisis. And on that end, an economic crisis helps society, and I'm not talking only businesses, but also the, the public administration, to become more efficient. 
So there's so much that you can cut in terms of costs, right? But you can, after reaching that level, start opening your mind and find more creative solutions. Now with this economic downturn, the public government has an extra motivation to get out of the comfort zone and really find innovative ways to become more efficient. And AI mm. is going to definitely play a big part of that. Precisely because of the cloud technologies, yes, they do have limitations. There is an extra concern for security and that's preventing them accessing tools that rely heavily on cloud. But there's also a lot of progress that is happening right now with edge computing mm -hmm. that allows AI to be performed within your machine and doesn't really need you connected to the internet. So the progress in that field is going to allow the, the public administration and the government to really have access to AI. But of course, it's going to take some time until yeah. they, they reach the same pace as industry. Mm, that's true. Mm. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a bit about uh, science fiction and all of that. There is a very famous Polish writer, Lem, Near where I live sometimes in Poland, because I live in many places, there is a quote by him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to loosely translate it. Okay, I have a picture of it in front of me. <laughs> it's really cool. It's a mural and it's a robot drawing on it. Uh, and it says, in the end, people will go down to the level of brainless servants of metal geniuses. And maybe they will even start treating them like gods. Okay. What do you think or the, the risks in, in this technology? His books are ahead of, he predicted the future. Mm. What do you think are some risks that we choose not? We kind of, <laughs> we put this monkey emojis, right? I can't see, I can't hear. What would be the top three that you could think of right now? The risk with this technology. Mm. I like to classify risks into the ones that are here and now, the ones that are real, realistic, basically, and the ones that are still quite sci-fi. So I'm immediately going to say that the risk of this AI apocalypse, uh, robots taking over the world and society, is not something that is realistic today. I think we have so many other pressing concerns that should be worked here and now, And unfortunately, the noise in media and other agents focuses so much on this doomsday. Mm. Uh, but it is important that we look into the ones that are realistic. And then one realistic uh, concern that we should definitely tackle on, and ha I have already spoken a little bit about it, is ensuring that the AI technology is safe and human-centered, meaning that we work on the data And we work in the interaction to make sure that it doesn't harm anyone. And when I say harm, I'm not talking about a robot is going to come and attack you and stab you on the back. I'm talking <laughs> about someone being discriminated based on race or gender when it comes to assigning a mortgage mm. or loans to people. And something that is very realistic today, the, this... This can be done with machine learning and it's already implemented in many banks where you do analysis on how good someone could be at paying back their loans. So if you take gender into account, of course, in the past, for example, women have been receiving less loans. Historically, women have had barriers of access to finances or to even financial knowledge. 
So you haven't had chances to access loans as men had. Mm. So what the machine is going to read or is going to more uh, rather interpret is, okay, in the past we've been given more loans or mortgages to men than to women. And from there you can extract that men are more suitable to receive loans. So if the data is not clean for that, then we're just going to keep on perpetuating that situation. Mm. And that's what you really want to tackle, right? The machines should be better at staying objective and not being biased. We can fix that with the machines, finally. Something that, I guess, no one could ever truly be purely objective. Yeah. Good uh, news. Yeah. <laughs> Non-biased uh, machines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so uh, I think it's very important that we, uh, we're conscious about how mm. much historical data and the data that we feed the, the technology can impact the result. So you, you can definitely tackle this while training the algorithm and while training the, the solution. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. This is something that is, I wouldn't say easily addressed, but at least that it needs to be done. So that's definitely a concern of mine that is right there. One that maybe is a little bit more uncertain as well. And for that same reason, harder to tackle, mm -hmm. since it's still an open question, is uh, developing good dynamics for us with this new technology. And I think a good example to make it visual for everyone is to look at the first AI revolution <laughs> that was kind of quiet mm -hmm. for most of the people. That was basically machine learning algorithms, so recommendation and, and matching algorithms that you could see with uh, social media, right, and, and uh, product recommendations on uh, online shops and e-commerce. So we, with that first wave, we didn't pay so much attention to it overall. I think it was such a new technology. It went kind of fast. And 10 years later, now we look back and, and realize that there's so many consequences that were unexpected. You can't really foresee everything that would come out. So you really need to stay in your toes to watch out for how we develop these mm. dynamics, human and machine. Because... In that situation, what uh, ended up coming out on the not so positive side was social media addiction. Yeah. Right. That mm -hmm. was the big thing. Depression as well. Mm -hmm. Depression rates across infants, for example, mm -hmm. has been skyrocketing yeah. uh, because of social media. So this is really behavioral in a way. People focus on the technological problems. One that I would really be very open about is the human centricity how to develop a really good interaction with the machine so it doesn't harm us, but we we develop a healthy relationship with it. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you can only discover these type of consequences as you go. It's a little bit like learning by doing, but if you're proactive on measuring the outcomes and evaluating potential risks, then you can fix as you go as mm -hmm. well instead of letting 10 years pass and realize now, looking backwards, oh, wow, all these children were negatively affected. Yeah. How can we proactively work for that? One really good idea there is making sure that you involve everyone in the conversation, not just the AI experts, but also sociologists, for example, that can understand better how our uh, dynamics work, how we behave as human, mm. how our brain works. Because... Mm. Of course, our brain and our bodies, they're not designed to interact with phones, for example, or yeah. other types of technology that uh, have AI. So it's really important to 
to figure out and evaluate how we are reacting yeah. the more we use something, in this case, the technology. Yeah, I've already heard of at least one company that has a behavioral scientist as a part of a team, or at least the teams have access to the behavioral scientist. It's always there. That's starting. And I think that would be great to see more cross-functional teams that are having these type of skills uh, and not just engineers and other type of <laughs> skills. <laughs> but it, Or perhaps we as team members become more T-shaped and start growing these behavioral science skills, right? I think that would be really cool to see. But of course, that's another discussion. Yeah, cool. So in the end of the day, it's all up to us on how we use the technology, how we choose to introduce it to everybody else and how we together as human beings uh, decide how we, because we will decide about its future. It's not the AI that will do it. So if we want to teach our kids things, we have to already proactively start working towards that rather than wait for Instagram to <laughs> to make them addicted, right? So that's what I mean. In the end of the day, it's up to us on how how we work with it and not up to, to AI how it works, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and funny, I mean, but... at the end of the day, AI is an it's a human invention. So we are the ones setting up how it's going to function. And again, we're biased. We all have our flaws. No one's perfect. So we have to work together and collaborate and be spoken about the challenges that we feel need to be addressed. Because I agree with you. We should not let industry and the governments to decide. I would say that users need to be very much involved into all decisions that come down to regulation and how to set safe guardrails in the different technologies. I mean, now there's been a lot of noise for quite some time regarding the EU AI Act. And when you look at the regulation, the first draft of the core of the regulation, you can tell they haven't really been involved in that many experts mm. and there's no user centricity, right? They've created this scale of risk for how dangerous could potentially one technology be or not. But there's not really definition of the scale. So it's a bit strange, right? You, you say, oh, this is super risky and this is at low risk, but what makes you say one thing or the other? And I think the challenges are going to become more obvious once this core of the law gets, gets translated into action plans for industry to be able to adapt to that, right? There are different legislation phases, and I'm not the expert on this, but what's been happening right now is that big leaders within the governments have been sitting down and working on the legislation. But once that law is written down, the world <laughs> needs mm. to understand that how does that affect me, for example, as a business? How, how do you translate this law into actual uh, plans for companies to understand how they need to do things and what they need to comply with? And that hasn't done, hasn't been done yet. Yeah. So, when, when that stage gets there, it's going to make it very obvious that <laughs> there are a lot of gaps happening within that legislation. And my biggest uh, wish there is that they do involve way more people with this behavioral understanding of how humans think and work yeah. in order to make sure that the user mindset gets captured. Yeah, mm. even neuroscientists, right? <laughs> yeah. How the brain functions. Yeah, that's uh, my personal 
preference. <laughs> Maybe the, these are my favorite scientists. We could talk about this for hours. I can see you're so passionate and knowledgeable about this. I want to close with a question. It's also more tips because I really like to, when it comes to change, I really like to see it in small steps. So it's not a big bang. Of course, nothing is a big bang. But let's imagine I work on a team. My role at this stage doesn't matter. What can a team member do today? What could be the first step they can take today to enable AI in their team? I'm not even thinking of organization. What can they do today? They stopped finishing this podcast and, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to kick off this uh, AI journey in my company. But I'm going to start with me and I'm going to start with my team. What can I do? I think the best is become the best AI champion within the company. It becomes contagious, the same as with an uh, enthusiasm. You can have them communicating that passion by doing. Mm. There's nothing like results to speak for something. So as soon as you get the, to work with it and start seeing the benefits for your own role, then you can also bring it to the table when it comes to the team interactions. So as I said earlier, a tool that can help within team tasks, which means that it's going to involve the whole team. Everyone's going to see the real tangible results on their hands and say, oh, wow, need to take to write down minutes. And then it spreads. Nothing speaks better for its own as in a happy customer or a happy user. So you, you should definitely create that excitement and that enthusiasm by making people see it in within their own shoes. Mm. I think it's, it's a little bit the same as what I mentioned earlier. Just start doing now. Choose one of the generative AI tools such as ChatGPT, Bard, etc. And think about how it can help you on your daily work, but also how it can help you on your daily personal life. The more you use it, the more you're going to find chances to start applying to it. It's really funny because when it launched, one of the first things I did was to ask for a Christmas song for my <laughs> for my tech team at the previous yeah. retailer I was working at and made an amazing, super beautiful, funny song uh, for Christmas that was specifically catered to the developers. Ah. You know, I mean, obviously... Did you sing it all together? No. Or? no. <laughs> hey, there's still I intense. saved my team from dying from my voice. <laughs> they could read it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's something that... It didn't really automate anything that yeah. I would have done, mm. but it added that spark of creativity yeah. that I wouldn't have within myself since I'm not an author. Mm. <laughs> Think about it. You could use other AI right now to actually uh, generate someone's the AI voice is singing that song for you, right? 100%. So yeah. like now it's... Hey, like, I want to see that. <laughs> I think you should definitely try it on. You have one tool writing the text for you and then you can mm. connect it to the rest of the ecosystem. And some of them are even already integrated with speech and with imagery. So yeah. you would be able to create a full content, even a short clip yeah. with that song, with the voice and the music. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'm not a greatest singer myself, so I can pretend, you know. Britney well, Spears, here I come. <laughs> I was thinking more of uh, expecting an AI Christmas song from you. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I should send it to everybody this year, right? Not yes. just, you remember these dancing weird postcards that people used to send to each other? 
It yeah. was like a team postcard and you put someone's face and it's super weird and everybody's <laughs> laughing and you're like, why are you laughing? This is weird. So maybe this year is going to be something really cool also. Well, Rocio, thank you so much for coming here to celebrate ChatGPT's first birthday with me. <laughs> if someone wants to learn more about you, about your wonderful work, how do they connect with you? Where do they find you? They can directly reach out on uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. And I yeah. very much encourage anyone because I'm extremely uh, open to leverage the power of the network. I think that's how magic is really going to happen, bringing everyone together on the conversation. So awesome. thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. It's been thank really you. Now, guess what happened? After we recorded the episode with Rocio, we both called each other back and forth almost every day. And we were like, what is going on with OpenAI? What changes are being made there? And we just felt appropriate updating you all. The day before this episode goes live, we re-recorded, we added extra information that we think you might find relevant and also... A little bit of a gossip around OpenAI. So here it is. After we finished talking last time, which was quite recently and we recorded, much has changed in the world of AI, especially in OpenAI. Right, Rocio? Yes, there's been uh, quite some activity in that area. Yeah, some of my friends who are very interested in that, they described it as the drama in OpenAI is like Kardashians for tech people. <laughs> you can't hear that yet. <laughs> really, yeah. So what happened and wh why should we care, Rocio? Mm. So to start with, today we still have a lot of information missing about what really uh, sparkled the whole situation with the CEO of OpenAI being dismissed. They're, they haven't really shared information about why. They've just talked about what has happened, the processes, the updates into who would be the next CEO and so on and so forth. But we're still waiting for uh, alignment in terms of the, the reasons. Something that I think is very interesting to be aware of is that all of this really stems from something deeper than just one company. And that's the big bubble that Silicon Valley is and specifically the AI startup world is because mm -hmm. I think this would have probably never happened in other type of environments where it is not so straightforward to get attention and therefore funds mm. to keep on developing AI products right so what we see now is a business or like yeah a company environment where it's pretty easy to raise capital and get profiles who don't have that much experience to develop something, which is really good in a way for innovation. You yeah. definitely need to open up paths and you should allow for growth and making mistakes and keep on growing. However, you know, when you look at a board that makes decisions in a very rushed way, they don't really evaluate the consequences and so on, you, you, you can tell this wouldn't have happened in a, a company that really, really understands business, right? All I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They must have been under tremendous pressure, right? This has been the fastest growing company in the recent years. It is. It is a lot of pressure and it's, I don't think it's an easy position to be at, of course. However, like making uh, this, this kind of like spiral regarding news and, you know, also how you handle people's 
perceptions and, and people's experience at the end of the day, you're dismissing a person who has tremendous influence, not only within a company, but also in the world, given how much change and how much progress OpenAI has been sharing and providing to the world of AI and the industry. So like removing someone from the public image, because at the end of the day, the CEO not only makes decisions and it's the executive that guides the vision of the company, but also is the public face of a company gets suddenly removed without further explanation. And also in, yeah, in, in maybe in a, in a not transparent way. I think that's maybe the biggest challenge, mm. the lack of transparency, right? You're talking about Sam Altman, right? The CEO yes. um, at the time of OpenAI. Yeah. And it seems like the issues are more organizational rather than the actual, that the product that they were trying to develop, right? So that like the culture within the company, how they communicate, how it was structured, how did they raise funds, whatever, like everything around it rather than the AI itself. Do you think that will affect now how people perceive their pr product as in ChatGPT or AI in general, since ChatGPT is such a mascot <laughs> for AI tools in general? Do you think that will change people's perception? Will they stop using it or blacklist it? So I think there's definitely going to be an impact on the, this whole situation with OpenAI, on how people perceive the company, the brand, and also the tool, I don't think there's going to be a dramatic change on usability. So speaking about like the end user, I don't think there's going to be like a big hit on that end. However, all of these tools and all of these systems, they really benefit or at the end of the day, get their cash cow from B2B. So even though you get a lot of exposure, a lot of visibility when it comes to like the end user, what ends up bringing the revenue home is really the interaction with other companies and how the companies, for example, integrate their own digital products. Yeah. So I think that is something that will very likely be affected by all this uh, situation and, and how the news have been handling, et cetera. Yeah. Do you know what I think is going to happen? I think in some years from now, there's going to be a movie in Hollywood about Sam Altman. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> or he's going to write a book. They've actually been comparing him to uh, Steve Jobs for a while. Oh. And you probably know that uh, he was also dismissed from his own company. So it's a, it's a really funny situation that they had already been comparing to him. And now, you know, it's kind of the cherry on top. So <laughs> crown as well as the, the next new. Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's always dudes <laughs> in Silicon Valley. I, I think it's fascinating. And I think almost maybe that's also cultural in the United States, but the, the, this is really great publicity for him, I think. Now, yeah, before that, I didn't even think about who he is. But now, now I'm like, oh, that's him, Sam Altman. <laughs> At some point, you start even wondering, you know, maybe this is a bit too, uh, too much paranoid, if I may use that word. Wondering, yeah. like, this is all a marketing stratagem that they're using <laughs> in order to, like, increase awareness and make yeah. more noise, you know, to keep on being relevant on the news. Yeah, I think it's a valid <laughs> assumption to make, you know. Yeah, like, again, it's a reality show as we've all been enjoying it. And in reality show, this, the, in order for the star to become popular, they have done some things that no one has expected, right? I'm not going to say what and who. <laughs> but there, some shows became big because of some material being leaked or something. We still are going to use ChatGPT as I think right now. And do you think that more people will 
move into the competitors or? I believe that from the user perspective, there is not going to be that much change specifically from this situation happening. I think the ones that are already curious about using other types of large language models, such as ChatGPT, they have already been exploring those. Uh, and the ones that are already, you know, thriving pretty much, they're likely not going to change at this point since the product per se, it's, it's good. It has great intuitive UX and they keep on further developing in a direction that it feels that it gets better and better. It keeps on being quite straightforward. And it's just connecting more and more models behind. Like it's not just about text anymore. You can also connect it and, and generate uh, images and so on and so on. So from the user perspective, I don't think that many people are going to change. There is definitely one thing that I'm concerned about this whole situation and it's mm -hmm. how it became even news. Like the world should really be focusing about how to make AI safe for everyone and responsible. And instead of like focusing on real problems that we do have today with AI, we, yeah. we shift focus and, and all this attention to news that are basically, as you said, it's, it's a TV show. It's entertainment. Mm. That's true. In sad in a way. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And you wonder also the ones that are making these decisions that are going to impact a lot of people, you know, that have a lot of power at the end of the day within the AI space. They're, yeah, they're not really at mature levels as you would expect them to be. No. Thinking that they're like, they're, they're the ones deciding how a responsible AI product looks like while in parallel making these decisions that create a lot of noise and drama. Yeah, and, and that's for the entire world, right? Where some basic leadership training maybe would have helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so just my opinion, you know, but they're maybe too busy building it and they don't look, they don't look back. Now we're gossiping, but <laughs> I, th I think it's fascinating. And like you said, people don't really um, focus right now on yeah, how to improve it, how to make it more inclusive and so on, rather than focus on the drama behind it. But I'm sure that even if all the employees move to Microsoft, as has been as said, it's potentially going to happen. There's going to be really cool companies coming up. And I think if if they eventually break, there would be some sort of a great span of, you know, like from, yeah, all the engineers there that are that are passionate about this would create something cool, right? On the side. 100%. And at the end of the day, they're still disrupting the industry. That's something that you won't be able to change. They're the ones who really had the market shaken and they keep on progressing. So yeah. in a way, uh, that past is not going to change. You, you only want things to get better and better. And for maybe the responsible AI to be a bigger topic when they do develop it. It's an, an open question and, and it's not that we do have all the answers for developing like responsible AI products. It's just a topic that we need to keep on exploring and, and improving. Oh, wonderful. I mean, you're such a beautiful person saying that, you know, people are just, oh, I'm going to use AI and so on. You're like, but it has to be responsible and it has to be used with caution. I love that about you. Thank you for popping in here and uh, updating us with what OpenAI is up to and what you think about that. And yeah, uh, tomorrow we have ChatGPT's birthday. So we only felt this was appropriate to update you, dear listeners, on yeah, what's going on out there in that <laughs> telenovela. <laughs> Silicon, <laughs> Silicon Valley, right? <laughs> yeah, the Silicon Valley telenovela, for sure. 
Yeah, thank you again. Thank you for having me here. It's been a pleasure.